welcome to the 136th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How are you doing, Roger? I'm good. How are you? Good. So it's been a pretty busy week. We've got a couple of things to cover this morning. It's the start of earnings season, AT&T, reported last week, uh, so we'll talk about that. And we also heard from T-Mobile about their latest uncarrier announcements, so we're going to cover that as well. What do you want to start with, Roger? Let's start with AT&T. All right. So how did AT&T do? I thought AT&T did decently, right? Yep. 424,000 phone net ads has come down but it's still a very respectable number, especially as churn has come down even more so. And and so AT&T does a very good game in locking up its base, right? And later on, we'll talk about T-Mobile's answer to that. I don't know if it necessarily is the answer or not. So they did well there, locking down the base. Apu looks good. On broadband, as expected, they lost a little bit more DSL lines than they gained fiber lines. That should end pretty much soon. We're now within this year, like either next quarter or the following quarter, they should have net ads on on broadband. Well, they, they made the comment, and you know, we see this in our data as well, that, that moving is one of the major reasons why folks sign up for broadband service. You know, you go to you get a new house and you or a new apartment, wherever, and moves are at a, a pretty pretty much all-time low due to the interest rate environment, right? So to the extent that there are headwinds around kind of some of the fundamentals behind what why people choose or why people switch broadband providers, I thought I thought it was still a good number. Yeah. It was it was like twenty thousand less than the same quarter last year. It's like within the striking distance. So they, they, they have their plan and they're executing on it, and I think they're executing well on it, right? But when we look a little bit under the hood of, of these numbers, and I thought business did well again, right? But if we look a little bit under the hood, we see how things differentiate a little bit. I think the number is 424 because we had cables offer out there which is, you know, both Comcast and Charter give you for $60 wireless and and broadband uh, combined. And fine, that price explodes in a year or two, depending on the carrier. But until then, why not, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing that impact. And I think we're, we're seeing on the business side the impact of Verizon being probably strong in, in SMB this quarter again. Meanwhile, they will probably hemorrhage customers on consumer. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how Stanky talked about the economic environment, right? And we've heard ATT kind of allude to this return to kind of normal in terms of net ads and things like that for quite some time now. But it also seems like kind of the, the overall size of the market from a net ads perspective may be shrinking now. There's been a lot of foreshadowing across all the carriers over the last six months, Osvaldic at T-Mobile has talked about it. Pascal and, and Stanky at CEO at, at, at uh, AT&T have talked about it. And I think we may we may see this actually starting to come to fruition, right? Yeah, but I, I thought it was a little bit too much doom and gloom. 
right? It's it's not that bad. The consumers are still signing up, not in the unsustainable record numbers of last year and and two years ago, but they're still signing up in really strong numbers. And I would have struck a more positive tone and let the uh, Wall Street journalists be the bringer of plague and, and pestilence. Well, I mean, to be fair, this is this is one carrier reporting so far, right? So yes, but it's but AT and T is usually the first one out, and the tone with which they start is usually a lot worse than the actual numbers that they deliver, right? At, at the beginning, when I listened to the earnings call, I thought like, "Oh my God, they bombed," and they didn't. They had, I think. Not a kicking out of the ballpark quarter. And by the way, prepaid grew as well, right? So they, they grew everywhere where it mattered. Well, and prepaid churn went down as well, too, right? They're all the way down to 2.73%. It's like 2.79% prepaid churn. 73. how low, yeah. right? And so uh, this quarter had so many things for AT&T to be proud of that I was surprised that they were... So doom and gloom in the beginning. Yes, but it's the lowest postpaid phone net ads they've had in like 10 or 11 quarters. I think that's the doom and gloom. Yeah, but at the same time, they're still objectively really good, right? What we had over the last two years was not normal, and we should not describe it as normal. But at the same time, it's not doom and gloom. The other thing where I think they should have done a better job managing is with the free cash flow number where they surprised Wall Street, which they shouldn't have done it. That that was like a a self-inflicted injury. And also, they changed calculation on EBITDA again, which is probably so unnecessary, right? You know, they have a much cleaner, easier to understand base. And, And I felt like under Randall Stevenson and John Stevens that, at times, they were trying to make it as hard to understand as possible, that you couldn't figure out anything. And here's an opportunity to make things really easy, transparent, which gives you faith and confidence in the numbers and that they're not hiding anything. And then they're like, oh, there's a surprise here. And oh, we changed that calculation. Why not steady as she goes and do that? It would build a lot more trust. Because fundamentally, they're operating really well, but they still are not trusted by Wall Street. And sometimes it's, it, they can only blame themselves for it. Yep. Well, we'll have to see how the rest of the carriers came in, but I thought it was an interesting yeah. view into Q1 and you know, Verizon's reporting this week, along with a few other providers coming in too. So we'll, we'll have the full picture in the next couple, couple weeks. So let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the Uncarrier announcement. T-Mobile announced it's been 10 years since I think the first Uncarrier announcement. So this was a pretty big one. They had a, a pretty long sizzle reel in front of this. Tell us what they announced. And, and I think we're probably going to have a pretty interesting discussion about kind of how this, how this shakes out. They announced new price plans called Go 5G. And they also announced that their essentials plan, which is like the very low end, are are getting like, at least for a limited time, uh, 10 bucks cheaper. 
on a single line and and like a little bit cheaper on the on the multi lines. But T-Mobile made a lot of hay on their Go 5G Plus plan, which would let you get basically a a new device every two years that T-Mobile would pay for that. And they said, like, the baddies on the other side, they only let you do this every three years. I'm sorry, you know, it's it's a free phone, right? And by the way, on Go 5G and Magenta, you need to jump through quite a few hoops to get that free phone, like add a line or upgrade to a higher plan. Whereas with AT&T, you get a new phone every three years, 30 months and get a new phone. But these these phones cost $1,000, right? So, Roger, let's take a step back here. I think one of the things that is commonly misunderstood about phones and and how they're paid for and and, and finance and so forth and and wireless is that, you know, subsidies have gone away, and that's pretty far from the truth. Give us some uh, some background in terms of, you know, how things work today and, and how this works with that. Well, subsidies went away, and then they came back, right? The the big innovation of T-Mobile with Carrier Freedom was to to get away from contracts where you got a subsidized device for $200 every two years, you got a new device. And they said, like, we're breaking these chains, and instead they instituted device financing, which was a very clever way of, yeah, you can switch, but if you have a phone, you still have to pay us all of these things. And the industry followed suit because Wall Street cheered them on that, you know, we we would go away from device subsidization. That lasted, what, six, seven years. And now device subsidization is back. And, you know, AT&T has led the charge And it has paid handsomely dividends for them, right? So most customers at AT AT&T, either new or existing, are getting their device paid for over two and three years, depending on when it was, by AT&T. And T-Mobile followed suit, but had, had more hooks and conditions added. The other piece of this is as this was happening, devices got more expensive, right? And consumers don't want to all of a sudden pay $50 for their device, right? And so per month, right? And so the carriers will go and they'll say, okay, well, we'll give you an incentive that will spread out for the life of life of your payment plan. But not all of them. But not, well, yes, but the point here is that T-Mobile does this too, right? T-Mobile does it too, but Verizon does it very sparingly. And that's part of the reason why Verizon has such a hard time, that they don't have that handset subsidization on a regular basis. But now and then they pull it out of the hat and they make up some of the lost ground. Whereas AT&T and and T-Mobile have been the most aggressive. AT&T has been more generous than the others. T-Mobile forced you to go into uh, Magenta Max or add a line and these things. And yeah, that device costs $1,000 and it gets amortized over two and three years. So it's like $27 a month that AT&T basically gives the consumer off 
on the plan because the device payment is included, basically. And now T-Mobile comes out and says like, well, you know, we have this plan now where you can upgrade every two years. And look at these evil guys. There you can only upgrade every three years. They keep you in bondage for three years. The reality is with any of these devices, if you want to pay them off and, and not take that subsidy, you're, you're welcome to, and, and then the, you'll get your device unlocked, right? Yeah, and, and, somebody, and somebody will, not all the time, but once a quarter or so, will pay you out of your contract. Well, that's another piece of this, this promotion, right? So will you, will you talk a little bit about the, the buyout piece as well? Well, for a limited period, again, right, they will pay you out up to $830 a phone, up to four phones. So that means you have to be, you know, either be on a, on a standard iPhone or be several months into or like six months into a one of the bigger iPhones or the bigger Android devices. It's all not that that easy, right? And then T-Mobile makes a big hoopla around their price lock, right? Oh, we will not increase prices on you. Yes, well, they did with Essentials, what, a year and something ago, right? They were the first one. Nobody actually realized that they adjusted some fees with Essentials way back when. So if nobody remembers it, it didn't happen. Yeah, and then they accused the other guys of doing this. Well, they yes, did they increase on some legacy plans? Yes. But if you look at T-Mobile, yes, they will not upgrade your existing plan, but then they come out with a new plan that, that might be more expensive. Because when we look at at the Go 5G+, Plus, right, we haven't seen the official signage yet. But if you see what, what got leaked online, Go 5G Plus is like $90 for the first line, which is like type kind of headline pricing for Magenta Max. But they always cross it out and say like, no, it's only 85 So it will be very interesting to see if Sunday Go 5 Plus one line will be 85 or 90 Because if it's 90 then they just increase prices on, on new customers. Not on existing customers, but on new customers, right? Right. I mean, I think one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit is, you know, the cost of mobile service has gone down over time. And in a world where, you know, inflation is a big deal and, and a lot of a lot of things cost more than they used to, generally speaking, you get your dollar goes further today than it did two years ago or five years ago in terms of the mobile service you get, both in terms of the quality of the network you get, but also the speeds and the data buckets for premium data, et cetera, right? And for typically less money. And for typically less money, right? Uh, the way that kind of the industry tends to kind of fight back on this, and I think one of the nuances here about price lock is price lock is about your current plan, right? And to be fair, with the exception of some taxes and fees and regulatory pass-throughs and things like that, there's not a lot of huge movement in terms of top-line plans increasing in price. It's, it's kind of a boogie, boogeyman. But you can always come out with another plan, right, to your point, and then it's no longer subject to that kind of it's, – it's price locked to itself, but it's not in relation to anything else that's in, in the market, right? And so TBD on whether or not this is you know going to be – 
the same monthly recurring cost or if it'll be more. But when you talk about price lock, and we, we've done some some testing of price lock, price lock messaging works really well. Consumers really like it. But I think there's a nuance there that, again, like the subsidies, most most consumers don't understand. When I look at the the price increases that AT and T and 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 Verizon did, it was largely to get people to upgrade to the newest plans, and they took money from people who who didn't pay attention. But ultimately, the newer plans are better plans. Like the new Go five G plans, they give you more hotspot data. And they give you more data when you go to Mexico and Canada. Well, the mid-tier one gives you more premium data as well. And more premium data, right? So 100 gigs of premium data. Who is using 100 gigs of premium data, really? Average unlimited usage is like 18 gigs, something like that. I'm glad it's a bigger number, right? Right. So it will be interesting of of the impact. We have questions right now in the field, or we will, by the time this airs, we have answers actually, right, of what we expect the impact of this to be. But it was was good that T-Mobile came back and and made a splash. We need more of that, but because we haven't seen any any competitive moves since AT&T came out with same price, same promotion for everyone. And in a way, this is the response to it. What, like two years later, right? And it's it's a move on, on T-Mobile's side to counter the falling churn of AT&T and the locking up of the base, right? They, they need to increase the, the, the switcher pool. And I think this is an attempt by T-Mobile to increase the switcher pool again. Right, but it'll be expensive for them, right? Because if they're paying all these bounties and everything else, you're buying those customers, right? And so the implication is you've got to you've got to get folks that wouldn't normally switch to come over. Because as you know, there's there's a proportion of the switcher pool that's constantly switching, going from one carrier to another to get the best deal, and those folks typically are not profitable. Right. And so you have to dig deeper to get the multi-line accounts, the family accounts, the the folks that the high credit folks, et cetera. Right. And there are a lot of those folks at AT&T and I'm sure Timo sees that. We did NPV analysis on this some time ago. And even with these two year new device every two years, they're still NPV accretive, not wildly, but it's still more money. They're not in the business of giving phones away and, and and making a loss. But the margin on these things is interesting, right? It, it's there. The game that everybody plays is, is you come up with a really attractive promotion, you bring somebody up, and then you upsell them down the road, right? Yeah, but you can't upsell them from Go 5G Plus anymore. What's interesting is that probably the the least profitable plan is the Go 5G Plus plan. I don't know about that. I would would say probably essential savings because it's just such a lower MRC, but we'll see. We'll see in the numbers, right? Yeah, but you're not getting much on on essentials. You're getting the essentials. It costs them what, like nine bucks, ten bucks to serve a customer? 
Yeah, but the, the breakage on something like a Go 5G Plus, to your point, nobody uses 100 gigabytes worth of data, right? Very few people are using international data on, on a significant ongoing basis. So, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the features and, and, and bells and whistles that you get are, as you would call it, theoretical freedoms, right? Things you could do, but you may not. The 5G high-speed data in 11 European countries is like T-Mobile, Deutsche Telekom countries, right? And uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Oh, and then we have Dish. Dish got a new, or Boost Mobile got a new fearless leader. Tell us about it. Gentleman called Michael Kelly. He used to work for Dish from 2000 to 2015. The satellite guy and, you know, has retired from Dish 2015. And apparently he wants to rekindle his relationship with Charlie. He must have missed him. And he's done some investment in IoT stuff in the last eight years. But it will be interesting what a new perspective he brings to Boost and Boost Unlimited and Infinite and Genesis and all of these things because these guys need help and they need all the help they can get because I think this will be another brutal quarter for Dish, especially after. You know, and thank God they got over that that ransomware attack. But that one can't have been good for business last quarter. Well, you, you never want your uh, core systems to go down yeah. uh, because of ransomware, right? <laughs> All right. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Roger. Bye.